Hi, I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. You're listening to She Said, She Said. Ever think about how your body language may be impacting how others see you? Janine Driver is a former federal law enforcement investigator who spent 16 years at the Department of Justice. She's trained agents at the FBI, ATF, and CIA. Her deep understanding of body language has enabled her to outsmart gun runners and murderers and to help people like you and me become more self-aware of the behaviors that may be sending the wrong message or holding us back. And she's an expert on how to spot inconsistencies in others, essentially how to tell when people are lying to you. Janine has taken what she's learned about body language and behavioral science and created something called the Body Language Institute. She's also the author of two best-selling books, You Can't Lie to Me and You Say More Than You Think. Both books are available via the links in the show notes for this episode, episode 89. And remember, if you order from She Said, She Said, we'll get a little kickback with no additional charge to you. Janine, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thanks for having me, Laura. I'm really excited to have you here. I've been looking so forward to this interview. You're going to give us a bit of a crash course on body language and also a bit on emotional intelligence. But before we get to that, I want you to take us on the journey of why this? How how did you how did this become your specialty and expertise? I always say it depends on how much time people have because you know when you look back in life, it's like well this influenced that and then that influenced this and so you know there's a couple different beginnings. One is uh, you know a ne- an extra neighbor took advantage of me as a young girl. I was six or seven, and uh, thankfully I told my mom that one time it happened and she believed me. And I started to, you know, there's three types of people that are great at reading body language and detecting deception. And that's uh, people who have left brain stroke and the right brain takes over. Kids who are abused, even if it's just one time, physically, um, sexually, emotionally, they have to be on the lookout for danger. And then people like the Secret Service who every day are training to look for the anomaly. You know, what is different? Right. For me, as a young girl who had been taken advantage of by an next door neighbor, that's what happened to me. It's like you start to, just like a runner would know, that's odd for a marathon person to turn and run the opposite direction. For me, it's like this behavior of men or women is suspicious to me. And so I became on high alert. But how did you know, right? You were a child. And one thing that I think is so interesting about your story is that you went to your mom, yes. whereas a lot of kids don't. So yes. you felt very safe and comfortable talking to her. And she obviously handled the situation in a way that also made you feel perhaps empowered. Whereas maybe in other situations, if a child doesn't, is either confused about the behavior or doesn't know, right. do you think that had an impact on kind of how you reacted and the, how you learned to process? I think that without a doubt, it boosts my confidence to have someone believe in me. You know, my mother believed me, but it doesn't mean it doesn't come without a million other problems, right? So this guy told me, come back at, my mother called me for dinner. Janine, dinner, you know, this is 1976. Right. So you do the math, right? No one was talking about like, you know, any of this, like showing your underwear to the neighbor down the street. No one even had those conversations with their kids. And... Uh, my mother's like, Janine, dinner. And so I leave this guy's white shed, who's two houses down, grown man in his 30s. 
a, a little bit of sexual activity happened. It could have been 10 times worse. I know people have had a lot worse. And my mother called me for dinner and after dinner, I told her everything. He told me, come back, the game gets better. Mm. And my mother ended up years later becoming a nurse for elderly homeless people. I think she just had this innate ability to see people, right. like just see the, the human in human beings. And I don't think everyone has that ability. And so having her, I think, sent me on a different direction. But here's the big problem is 10 years later, when I'm 15, 16 years old, a guy tries to kidnap me. And women or men who are abused, who are a victim of some abuse, it's twice as likely, statistics show, to have that abuse happen again. Why? Women who are raped are likely to be raped again. Why? I it, that's what I'm still trying to figure out. Yeah. Like, is it we give off some type of a marker, like a skunk who sprays us, that you can still smell? There was a skunk around years earlier. Or a vulnerability that they see? Or I something? don't know what it is. I, I will tell you, you know, there's a great book out there called The Gift of Fear. All three, I'm a mother of three sons. All three of my sons will not be able to get their driver's licenses until they read this book of Gift of Fear and they trust their intuition. And so for me, after this happened the second time, he tried to throw me in the trunk of his car. I worked at a Mr. Donuts, later became a Dunkin' Donuts. And I was, you know, 15, 16. It was in the summer of my birthday. And uh, my radar went off. This guy is dangerous. And I don't know if you remember. Do you remember Adam Walsh? He yeah, went missing. Of course. Oh, such an this, awful story. Adam Walsh went missing at this time. So about a year or two before this happened. And I remember his parents' anguish, even as a young kid. Like, what happened to Adam Walsh? They later found him in right, a very right. sad, sad way. And I thought to myself, this guy in this car is going to get me. And all I need to do is give my parents closure on where to go. So I couldn't drive my 2.8 miles back home on my bike versus a car. It was 5.30 in the morning. It's pitch black. It's raining. Uh, we were going camping that day. I wanted to get my check before I left for camping for a week. And so I didn't even tell my parents I had left the house. They had no idea. I hopped on my bike. I'm a very determined young girl and still am as a woman. Drove my bike and coming back is when it happened. And so my job was just to drive to Bay Bank. I could see Bay Bank one block away. I can't drive 2.8 .8 miles home, but I can drive right there to Bay Bank. And maybe there'll be a camera there when I go through the drive-thru. And maybe, just maybe, when this guy gets me, my parents will have closure and know who took me. And so by what I call the grace of God, when I drove through that drive-thru, he followed me right to the bank. Uh, when I went through the drive-thru, this big metal fence that was about 15 feet high, maybe less because my childhood perspective could be off, uh, there was this huge chain lean fence and there was like an eight foot hill that went to another shopping plaza, a Star Market, an Osco Drug, a McDonald's. And someone had cut a hole in that chain link fence and it was ripped open. And so I drove my bike down this six, eight foot hill into a shopping plaza. And the millennials that listen to your show might not only see these in movies called a payphone. Right. I went into <laughs> the little shopping plaza where they have bubblegum machines that's always open. And I called in a payphone 911 and I was dropped off by the police at my parents' house, at my house. And they were woken by a policeman knocking on the door. We have your daughter. And she was almost kidnapped. There is, I mean, it's a terrifying story, but one of the things that strikes me is your wherewithal to think about and, and to think through, where can I go so that someone will see me or that a camera will pick up mm. the fact that I've been there? How do you impress, you, you're the mother of three sons, mm -hmm. how do you impress upon kids to think strategically about something like that when you're terrified. My youngest son is five, Jack, Charlie's six, Angus is 14. I suffer with some infertility there in the middle. And 
it's so funny that you just said the word strategically because all three of my sons, including Jack, my five-year-old, can tell you what strategy is. Because I will solve a problem. I teach them a strategy. So we get a, a dead end at something. I'll come up with a solution. I go, that's what's called strategy. And uh, with kids, you know, if you praise their um, their effort, you, you praise their ability to solve problems. I think that's really incredible. Yeah. And so I work a lot on solving issues. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, Jack, when he was little, at the Torpedo Factory in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia, it's gorgeous. And they have different artists in there. And there was a fair outside. And little Jack has a, a balloon. And it's a helium balloon. And it's tied to a string because there was a fair outside. The balloon get, lets go of the string and floats up to the ceiling. But the ceilings in the Torpedo Factory are about 15, 20 feet high. They're, they're very, very high mm -hmm. ceilings. I look around, kind of like uh, MacGyver, you know, the A-team, and I see a broom, I see tape on a table, and I see a chair. And I say to the artist, would you mind if I stood on that chair, took that broom, and took that tape? And I took the tape, twirled that tape inside out, you know, uh, backwards, stuck it at the end of the broom, stood on the chair, and lifted up. It touched the balloon. I pulled the balloon down, tied it to the string, all within 30 seconds, and I was out of there. <laughs> Go and, mom! Go yeah, mom! So, and then I taught all three of my sons. That's what I call strategy. Right. It's impossible to say you've done everything. It's impossible. And it doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. Believe me, I make a ton of mistakes. I'm not detail-oriented. I am a hothead. Uh, someone just told me this morning I was her devil wears Prada boss. She said I was mean, <laughs> nasty, evil. Uh, and I got this on a message on Facebook. I called her immediately. I remembered her from, uh, it was 10 years ago. My son was four, my oldest. And I said, tell me more, because emotional intelligence is self-awareness, social awareness, self-adaptation and inspiring other people to be the best versions of themselves. And it's a process I'm going through right yeah. now. OK, so so about that story, I, yes. I knew we were going to get get to this question, but I hadn't planned to get to it quite so quickly. But here, one thing that occurs to me um, because you spend a lot of time on the topic of emotional intelligence, how did that phone call make you feel? Did you feel Today? like you had, yeah, did you feel like you, especially because it's an area that you spend so much of your time on, how did you, it's hard to hear something that really challenges you in that way. Does that make sense, yes, what Laura. I'm asking? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, it's interesting because, you know, going back to this, you know, molestation that happened when I was right. a little kid, uh, I think what happened for me at that age, sadly, is, uh, you know, I think diff different people can have different directions. Uh, for me, I became overly confident, incredibly bossy, don't mess with me attitude. I ended up going into law enforcement, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, ATF, my specialty is firearms trafficking, going in at 21 to a gun dealer shop that he's selling or selling guns in the basement of his house on the border of Canada. His kids are in ripped clothing before it was even stylish. And there's 17 cats running around the house. And I'm this 22-year-old kid looking at guns in a basement of someone's house before pagers, before cell phones. Like, so I, for me, what happened was I'll never get messed with again. Yeah. And I think what happened is I pushed fear away. And so instead of dealing with fear, I tend to go to anger or sadness. So I'm very emotional. I cry. I give TED, I've given four TED Talks. Uh, one one second, I'm a roller coaster. One second, I'm this like intense badass, and then the next time, second, I'm telling you about my mother, and I'm being completely vulnerable and um, emotional. What what's missing is fear. And what she's this woman who wrote to me, her name's Bridget, and I called her today, 
is I consider myself and people who really know me will say I have a big heart. You know, I have a huge heart. I'm generosity. I'm a healer through my humor. I heal. Uh, I am open. I am honest. I am powerful. And sometimes the power overwhelms everything else. So you're not seeing what else is there. Right. Uh, so I was open to having this call. I, I you know, I, inter- I talked to a rapper. I'm doing this podcast soon. Maybe we'll get to it. And I had this rapper design this rap for myself and my, my co-host, Elise Labbitt. And I said to him, Joey, his name's Joey. I go, Joey, I really like you a lot. And I don't know if you've ever talked to a rapper, Laura, but they rhyme even on normal phone calls. Like, <laughs> it felt like I was talking like to Dr. Seuss. Like, I'm like, this must have been what it would be like if you were like a, at Christmas time with Dr. Seuss, you know? So it takes your mind a little bit to get used to like, you know, because you're trying to guess the rap, like what he's going to rhyme you with. start rhyming too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, well, how did you take that call? And he's like, did you fall? Like, and so your brain starts becoming, a, it's crazy. But I said to Joey, I really like you. And he goes, thank you. Everyone should like me. And I said, really? He goes, if you don't like me, it means one thing about you. And I said, what does it mean? He goes, you haven't taken the time to know me. If you just took the time to know me, there'd be something about me you would like. And that's how I feel about me. And that's how I feel about all human beings. I feel like Joey hit the nail on the head is if you, you know, Susan Smith, I'm big on crime. So Mm -hmm. Susan Smith drowned her two kids, her two little sons, because she was dating a guy that didn't want to date kids anymore. What many people don't know, the story behind the story is Susan Smith was molested from a young age to three or four by her dad all the way into her teenage years. And in her young 20s, she would go back to her house where she was raised to have sex with her father. So if you... If you could take, instead of looking just at Susan Smith who drowns her two kids because she's dating a guy that doesn't want to date, date a woman who has kids, and if you took the time to get to know the story behind the story, maybe, just maybe, there'd be something you'd like about Susan Smith. Right. And I think about that with myself, and I think about it with other people. Uh, it takes courage to say, well, tell me what makes me so, you know, what makes you think I was just, or how do you recall, I was just this angry, mean, nasty person. Because mm-hmm. my impression was I was funny. Yes, I was those things, and I was funny and big hearted. Yeah. But those things disappeared. Yeah. So there's a prayer. Have you ever heard of the prayer called Ho'oponopono prayer? No. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Catholic or Buddhist or atheist. It's a Hawaiian prayer. It's called the Ho'oponopono prayer. And I didn't know I was going to talk about prayer today. Uh, but it changed my life. And what it is is because I did this prayer to fear. You can do it to an emotion. You could do it to money and finances. You could do it to a younger version of yourself. So I did it to fear. And how the prayer works is very easy. You say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And I love you. And it's based on a, a, a mental institution in uh, Hawaii mm-hmm. where everyone was killing each other. They were There was disease. People were dying. And one leader and after another came and it got worse. And then all of a sudden, this one leader came in like a warden and everyone started getting healthy. Everyone started getting along. This, this Everyone was thriving. They didn't understand what he was doing. And all he did was he looked at every folder and said this four-part prayer And so I do this for the homeless. I do this for anybody. Um, We're judgmental human beings. All of us are. We go into the why. We're judging. That's what keeps us alive is judging. Is this Uber driver safe? Is it not? Is this babysitter safe? Is this guy safe? You know, we're constantly judging for survival. Basic human needs, right? We want to know the certainty. It's one of the basic human needs. And uh, And that's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. So I say, you know, to fear. I'm like, I'm sorry. I pushed you away because some bad stuff happened to me when I was a kid. 
fear belongs in, in our lives. You don't want too much fear, but it's a safety. You want fear. So I said, I'm sorry, fear, I've pushed you away. Um, thank you. Thank you for staying your distance so I could be the best version of me and I could get through this life in a way that's healthy. I'm a good person, you know, and I, thank you for giving me the space. Uh, um, I love you. And I love you for, you know, wanting to keep me safe. I love you for, you know, giving me the courage to then go tell my mother or the courage to step back so I could tell my mother. And so I'm on a process of yeah. me being a better version of me. And it's, it's so this is why I called this this Bridget this morning, because self-awareness isn't what people think it is. It's not like, oh, yeah, I know I'm not good at paying my bills. Oh, yeah, I know I have a hot temper. No, self-awareness means having the courage to hear what other people see you like and to see their perspective. And she shared with me, Bridget, a piece of a story that I've told many times, but she told me a piece that I didn't even remember. Evidently, I made her take a red eye. She was 22. She had never been on an airplane by herself. Um, she did messed up on a project. She was an unpaid intern. She messed up on a project that I had her do. And I said, you're going to change your flight. You're going to take a red eye. You're going to fly in. And as soon as you get there, you're going to solve this problem. Because I had an international audience coming in to take a five-day course two days later. And so I changed her flight, <clears throat> put her in a red eye, said, figure it out. And here's this kid. She said she was, today, she told me she was scared out of her mind, terrified. Never been on a plane by herself. She flew out to Seattle with me. I changed her flight. And I said, you're going to be fine. Figure it out. And I was just cold hearted. And she said, today it helps her be unstoppable. But at that time, she was scared out of her mind. She hated my guts. That's wow. that's that's something I need to know. It's something I'm working on. It has not disappeared. I'm still very intense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, we've gone deep, like that, really yeah. early in this conversation. Like no, 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 not at all. Not, not at all. Not at all. I want, <clears throat> though, for you to also kind of go back to, you know, once you left the Justice Department and a lot of yes. your trainings, you took what you learned to help other people and really have an impact on helping us read each other, but also understand what we may be doing to undermine our own performance. So yes. I want you to, to, to give us a bit of a crash course on what's maybe the most common thing that you see people do that undermines their performance, their credibility, that they don't even realize they're doing. 17 years spent with ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. My dad said I turned my hobbies into a career, drinking, smoking, and shooting. <laughs> I don't do any of those things as often as I used to. No, so, so ATF, 17 years. At first, I went to protect myself and my family, my friends, my finances. And when I was there, I learned so many amazing tools that just blew my mind that I, I left. And I wrote a book. It became a New York Times bestseller. You say when you think. And... Uh, the rest was history. And I, I want to help the everyday person. I want to inspire you to look at your world in a different way. The big the big takeaway, and at the end of all, I, I'm a keynote speaker. How I make my money is I travel to companies. Two days ago, I was in Kansas City talking to a pharmaceutical company. Um, this coming week, I'm talking to a real estate, big, huge real estate company. It's it's veterinarians, doctors, Lockheed Martin, Coca-Cola. It's salespeople. It's across the board. So I always have to ask at the end, what's your big takeaway? I call it a blue streak. A blue streak is a bolt of lightning that gets you out of the pool, off the golf course. Like you change action. You take action immediately to be safe. So I say a blue streak is something in your life that changed the direction of your life. For me, 
having this bad thing happen when I was a little kid or a guy tried to kidnap me. You might not have been, someone might not have tried to kidnap you, but you've had someone that betrayed your trust. You had a teacher that said you'll be nothing or you're a loser, you're stupid or kids that mocked you. Like you have your own story that changed the direction of your life. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the big takeaway that I'm hearing lately from people I always thought it was a shoulder shrug is uncertainty. So if you shrug your, if I say, Laura, this was so fun, I'd love to be invited back. And you go, yeah, absolutely. And you shrug your shoulders. A shoulder shrug is the universal sign in the United States for uncertainty. So most people will see the shrug and say, oh, Laura doesn't want me back. But maybe, Laura, you're just wondering, um, I've got all my speak, all my my guests lined up for the next six months. When could I have Janine back? Uh, maybe I'm going to I'm going to launch a video series. You know, maybe I should have Janine on the video series. The shoulder shrug just means I've opened a file of something you're uncertain about and I don't know the catalyst. Interesting. So I'll say to the audience, I always pick like an, the oldest guy I could find there and I'll be like, ask me if I've cheated on my husband. He goes, you cheated on your husband? I said, no. And I shoulder shrug right. and the audience laughs and, and I go, do you think I cheated? And he goes, yes. I go, good. Because that's an offer. Call me. And I make the call me mark with my, you know, symbol with my hand. And the audience, of course, laughs again. And I talk about, it doesn't mean I've cheated. Maybe my husband cheated. Maybe my secretary's cheating on her significant other. Maybe I was in the bathroom and heard someone crying. When I shrug and I have a disconnect between my verbal and my nonverbal, I'm out of congruency. It just means you opened a file I'm not comfortable talking about. It doesn't mean it's the opposite of what I'm saying. So don't overanalyze it. Don't overanalyze. Your job is to become an investigator. Maybe I'm wrong here. It seems to me ABC. You know, I also thought shoulder, um, crossed arms. So crossed arms, we think people are bored, disinterested, and defensive. Well, look at cops. If you watch these shows like Law and Order, Criminal Minds, or I used to be the human lie detector for Dr. Drew, and he weighed in on a murder, murder case, Jody Arias. She killed her boyfriend, Travis Alexander. And if you're reading... Uh, people in a law enforcement scene, you'll often see the detective does what? She crosses her arms. Well, is she bored, disinterested, defensive? No, what is she doing? She's thinking. She's solving the puzzle. See, crossed arms just means you're using your right brain, which is intuitive and takes risks, which controls the left side of your body, and your left brain, which likes, which likes facts, figures, logic, wants to think about it, process it, controls the right side of your body. When you cross your arms, you're using both sides of your brain. Research even shows you're 30% more likely, Laura, to solve a difficult problem or task with crossed arms. No way. If you uncross your arms, you'll give up on the problem sooner. Huh. So I always thought these two were like the big takeaways. I'm like, I've inspired them so much to look at their world in a different way. My job is complete. That's not what people are giving me. The feedback people are giving me is when I say something really small, which is anger is a secondary emotion to fear, anxiety, and sadness. So let me say that again. Anger is a secondary emotion to fear, anxiety, and sadness. It's like if you're yelling at me and I yell back, if you understand the person who's angry at you, whether it's customer service, you're in sales, your significant other, your kids, especially boys or alpha women, we tend to get angry instead of dealing with fear, anxiety, or sadness. And if you can step back and say, wait a minute, is this person really angry? Or even ask them the question, mm-hmm. you're going to get a different result. And so I tell two stories. One is my son Angus came home. He was young. Um, Charlie and Jack were babies. Jack was a newborn. Charlie was one. Angus came home from a baseball game here in the D.C. area with my husband. I was traveling for the last seven, eight days with the kids, the babies. Angus ran up the stairs. We have a split-level house out here in Alexandria, Virginia. I'm like, Angus! We call him Goose. Goose! And he walks past me in his room, slams the door. Mm. 
Now, I don't know about you, how you were raised, Laura, but how I was raised, my dad and mom had a policy called, I'll solve that problem policy. <laughs> and the door would be off the hinges the next day and would be knocking on a Wonder Woman sheet tacked up to the door frame. And there's not a lot of privacy knocking on a sheet. So Maya Angelou would say, when you know better, you do better. So you can't unhear what I'm going to share with you. You can't unhear it. It's what you do next that makes you extraordinary, increases your emotional intelligence. So I can't unlearn this. So when Angus slammed the door, I had to stop and take a pause. I do a lot of pausing, say, you know, do I want to be right or do I want to be effective? If I want to be right, I can go in and let Angus know, manners make the man. You will not slam the door and you answer me when I'm talking. Do you understand, young man? But if I want to be effective, I need to take a pause and say, okay, is he really angry? Is he scared? Is he is he anxious? And I went in and had you been with me and your listeners, had, had they been with me, I rubbed Angus's back. Like, what's going on, buddy? Are you scared? Are you nervous? Or are you angry? And he burst out crying. Mm. And he said, I wanted to leave the baseball game early to see Charlie and Jack because I know you're going on another trip tomorrow. And they go to bed at 8 o'clock. And Dad said I was trying to trick them. And I just wanted to go home and play with my iPad. And he said, if I went home early, I can't use it on the bus tomorrow. So look at both versions of Janine. One, manners make the man. You do not slam the door on me. Do you understand, young man? Do you understand me? You answer me when I talk to you. Or the Janine that knows better and says, wait a minute, this anger, do I want to be right or do I want to be effective? Is anger really anger? Why would he be angry with me? Or is he really sad or anxious? Right. What's happening there? And so that's one story. And then the other story, I just, I talk about my dad lost his cool. Long story short, I was redoing a camper. I go camping every summer in Maine. And I was putting in a floor that's uh, plastic. It looks like wood, but it's really plastic. Mold can't grow underneath it. It's a floating floor that sticks together. Mm -hmm. A lot of people today put them in their basements and bathrooms and kitchens. And my father sees it. And my mom died six years ago of breast cancer. And he sees the floor and he goes, tell me you're not putting that crap in your camper. You're not doing this big remodel and putting that crappy floor in there, are you? And he, by the way, I didn't say crappy. You can use your imagination. I go, dad, Mold can't grow underneath it. You pull a sticker, it connects together. It's a floating floor. He goes, yeah, your mother put that crap in our basement years ago in the laundry room. I told her not to do it. It popped up 30 days later. You get what you pay for, Janine. You're going to do something right. Do it right the first time. To make a long story short, before we know it, my dad is swearing. He's saying my head is up my backside. He's telling me it's always been that way. My kids are within an earshot. My dad is 74. So everything inside of me wants to say, God took mom at 66, who is a nurse for elderly homeless people, and left us with you? Like, this is the hate that's going on in my head. Right. And old Janine probably would have just said it. But at 74, what happens if my dad died that night? Right. Do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? So I took a pause. I left. Did not talk to my dad for two weeks. And I took a pause and realized, wait a minute. He's, it's not his camper. He's not paying for it. He's not installing it. He doesn't stay in it. He never goes in it. He's not angry. The anniversary of my mother's death is September 7th. He, it was a trigger for the pain. They were high school sweethearts. They met at 13. It was just a trigger. He's suffering. And as a 74-year-old man, he doesn't have the tool set to say I'm suffering. Right. And so I called him up and I said, Dad, it's Janine. I want to say I'm sorry that I had to walk away and I was not in a place to hear what you had to say. You are important to me. I say when people feel they matter and belong, cooperation will be strong. Mm -hmm. So I said, Dan, you matter to me. You are important to me. I love you. I've got your back. I didn't trust me 
in the last two weeks of how I was going to receive your information and how I was going to respond. So I didn't return your call. And I can't imagine what that must have felt like. I want to let you know I love you. And I'm now in a place to hear what you have to say. And he caught me and he was crying hysterically. Now, he's an auto mechanic that fixed fire trucks in Boston. So like my dad's crying. He's like, I'm so sorry, babe. I just missed your mother. I'm really grieving. Next week's the anniversary of her death. So I want you to imagine, Laura, both versions of my life. One is I got to be right and kill off my father dead. And I don't talk to him until I see him in a pine box one day. The other is I take a pause and I say, wait a minute, is he really angry or is he sad or scared or nervous, anxious? Yeah. That's what I call emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is saying, you know, do you want to be right? Do you want to be effective? And I'm not great at it. I've got to tell you, that's my husband. <laughs> I'm not great. Okay. So there's a lot of angry people in the world right now. There's yeah. a lot of people that are lashing out on social media. There are a lot of people that are lashing out in every in every area, every, everywhere you yeah. look. Apply this, what you've just said, to where we are in terms of understanding each other's differences and not lashing out and just saying the most horrible thing that comes first, most horrible thing that comes to your mind. Well, I think first of all, you know, with the political atmosphere, if you just remember all this like hate back and forth, people love Trump, they hate Trump, whatever it is, or Nancy Pelosi, they love her, they hate her. If you just remember, it's likely really, are they really angry? They're going to tell you they're angry probably. Uh, or are they really scared? I think a lot of people are afraid. Uncertainty is a scary thing. Mm -hmm. You have a person uh, in, who's a president that's not a, a political uh, politician, a lifelong politician. There's a lot of uncertainty on that. I think it automatically creates fear. And then, then he says things that are very impulsive. You know, our bomb's bigger than your bomb and I have access to the button. And then that creates more fear and uncertainty. And then you get other people that may be craving some fear and uncertainty. Like they may be craving like instead of politicians as usual, like mixing up the pot. And so they're so indignant, like this is the right choice. And if you just take a step back and say, really, are we all angry or is it really just fear and anxiety and, and maybe some sadness that's here? You know, if you talk to someone who's highly emotionally intelligent, they may likely cry one way or another if they are pro our president or not. With my corporate clients, say you have customer service. This happens all the time. This is ridiculous. You said you'd fix this last week. The same problem happened. This is a piece of crap. And they're screaming at you. Instead of saying, sir, sir, I'm not going to listen to you swearing at me, sir, sir, I'm now going to hang up, sir. And instead, if you know what to do in those moments to say, okay, it's likely this guy is experiencing anxiety or fear. Someone else is probably riding him. A woman stood up in, in Kansas City at this pharmaceutical company two days ago. She had an accent, so she was, she's from Europe somewhere. She goes, I want to tell you a story. This was at the end. And she goes, I want to tell you a story. And she stood up and she said, one of my top clients called and was screaming at me. I was screaming back and I've hated that person since. I've rerun that conversation a hundred times every single week in my head for the last two years. She said, this conversation was two years ago. It still haunts me. How dare she? I do everything to help her bend over backwards to talk to me so disrespectfully. And she goes, and I just was able to let it go in your presentation because that woman has major anxiety issues and probably her boss was riding her. So the mean stuff she said to me, really, it, she goes, for the first time, I realized, oh, she wasn't angry. She was scared out of her mind. And she goes, and I had a piece that came over my body here today to be able to let that go. And she goes, I'm going to call that woman and tell her I've been angry for like two years and I just want to let her know, hey, anything I can ever do to help you. Wow. And I think that's emotional intelligence is reading, you know, self-awareness, social awareness, and then saying, okay, sometimes we need a pause 
I reset weird handshakes. If I shook your hand, Laura, right now, and okay. I did this weird thing, like I'm a the queen of England, you know, I'd be like, that's suck. Let's reset that handshake. Right. Nice to see you, Laura. And I do a traditional handshake. So I reset with my kids. I asked my son, Angus, why are you playing video games? A hostage negotiator eliminates the word why from their vocabulary. Hmm. Why are you holding a gun against your partner? Why makes people feel judged? So in one of my TED Talks, I say, say bye to why and allow what and how questions. Mm. So I said to Angus, not too long ago, I go, dude, why are you playing video games again? Well, the why comes right out. I say to my husband right. all the time, why'd you change that light to another app light where that can, you, from your app, you can turn the light from right. red to green. Feels now, like an accusation. Yeah, yeah, it's like, why'd you do that? In the backyard now looks like a, our, our, our motion light looks like an alien ship's landing there. So what do you do instead? I do a reset. I said, let me reset that. What? So for Angus, I said, uh, what game are you playing and how do you play? And he starts telling me this, 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 and then what do you do? And, he, and then he's doing this. And, he's, and I'm like, what do you like about it? And he's like, oh, I love doing this, mom. I love the challenge, the strategy of it all. I go, oh, really? How do you win? He looked at me, Angus, and he goes, what's going on here? I go, well, I teach my clients, stop asking why questions. I have them put it in a circle like a Ghostbusters logo and then put a line through why and, and stop using why. Why makes people feel judged? And I realize I don't do that at home with you, your brothers, and your dad. So I'm going to start asking what and how questions. He doesn't know what the heck I'm talking about. He's 14. He goes upstairs for dinner. I run upstairs to take a shower. I just hopped off a plane to get home. And I guess at the dinner table, my son looked at my husband and, our, and my two other sons, his brothers, and said, hey, dad, I think mom is taking a class on how to be a better person. <laughs> <laughs> seconds, seconds later, Laura, I hear ja Charlie, my middle, say, Angus, I'm not a baby. Angus, I did what you would do, Laura, and all of your listeners. I opened the shower door and I politely screamed down, Knock it off! <laughs> and Angus, I guess, looked at my husband and said, um, I don't think mom's class is working perfectly just yet. Uh, and my husband, I go, why'd you put this alien ship light in the backyard? And I really said, and I go, you know what? Let me say that differently. His name's Leaf. Let me say it differently, Leaf. What led you to put the light in the backyard to green instead of white? We've been in this house since 2003. He goes, you know how I had a heart attack in April? And I said, Yes. And he goes, well, when I go out at night to swim because my stress and anxiety is high, two in the morning, that motion light comes on this big white light. And it was stimulating me. And I wondered if I turned it to green, if it would not be as stimulating. Now, to get the answer of the why, you have to do two what questions or what and a how. You have to go to minimum two levels deep. So I said, and what have you noticed since you've done it? He goes, I went out last night. We put the pool in our backyard in 2005. I had no idea that you could see the stars from the sky when we're out in the pool. Which wife do you want to be married to? Which boss do you want to have? <laughs> right? Which employee do you want to have? Why did you do this? Right. Because you get to be right by saying, why did you do this? Looks like an alien ship. Or what led you to do this and what have you noticed? Not what led you to do this? It can't be, a, you know, why in sheep's clothing. Right. You know, right. it has to be authentic and like genuinely care. So yes, is body language important to me? Body language is critically important. It is a tiny sliver of what I do, mm -hmm. because I believe if you set your intentions and you know these other skill sets, you understand emotional intelligence, your body language will follow suit. I don't have to give you a body language pose on how to sit confidently if in fact you're feeling confidently. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to the roots of the tree, which is your intention or, uh, or what Simon Sinek calls your why or what has been the Bible will call your purpose. 
you know, what is your purpose? What is your intention? What is your why? That influences your body language, which is the second level of communication with all human beings. Intention, if you think of a tree, Laura, the roots are intention or your why or your purpose. The the brand, um, the bulk of the tree, the bark of the tree, the trunk of the tree is body language. The tree branches is the third step. That's thought. So body language comes up to five seconds to seven seconds before thought in the leaves are words. Mm. We're so focused on people's words. Let's go back to intentions because when someone's feeling scared, what might the body language show up as? Maybe it's anger. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. So I know we're not talking heavy body language today. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, it's great. Beautiful. No, it's great. It's I think even it's better. great. It's, it's even better because you're you're illustrating how it is a dimension. It's mm. it's just it's just a read of someone, which which you've done you know, an amazing job of talking about, and all of your TED talks and all these all these things that I've watched with you. Mm. Um, but there are some specific things and some specific messages, perhaps, mm. that you could be sending to other people who are not quite as sophisticated in terms of reading body language. Right. Things that we may not realize that we're doing, and because our our audience is largely made up of women, even though we're working hard to attract more male listeners. Um, <laughs> but for now, it really is aimed at women. So maybe talk a little bit about some of the things that you've seen, some differences between women and men as it relates to body language and how we misinterpret in particular, because you and I both know, I think, and can yes. agree, as women, we tend to be more, maybe not better at, but we tend to be more um, have a have a keener sense of the ability to read a room. We are. We are better at right? it. Right? Yes. And to sort of look at different people. Now, it doesn't mean we're always going to be right, no. which is the danger, right? right? But sort of differences between women and men. We know as yes. women that we have a keener sense of the ability to pick up on body language, but sort of talk about a little bit about the differences that you see and maybe how oh. we keep from over-interpreting something. Women, I love, you know, I love women. I, I, we are different than men. We have better peripheral visions. We can see out of the sides of our eyes better than men. Uh, women's I tears. Know that. Oh yeah, women cry differently than men. I don't know if you know this. So the makeup of women's tears make our tears go slowly down our face. When men cry, their tears go fast down their face. Really? Yeah, so our tears have more whatever it is in it that makes it nice and slow. So um, there's a ton of difference about men and women. And when it comes to body language, I think we really blow it. You know, where we finally, you know, it's on the rise. Women supervisor are on the rise, but now you've got a seat at the table. Now what? Where we blow it is, there's a famous quote, and I don't know who says it, something along the lines of this. When a woman messes up in a boardroom and we walk out, the men in the room say, see, women don't belong in the boardroom. When a man messes up, they go, see, Charlie wasn't ready to be in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. So we have the show on our shoulders, all women belonging in a boardroom are on our shoulders. The good news is we have to work twice as hard to prove that we belong there and we don't have a problem doing it. So that's the good news. Here's the where there's a bias that happens. In a boardroom, uh, uh, say that it's a heated conversation or one person's talking over the other. A man can do a palm down gesture. So imagine kind of like talk to the hand. And so, or you say to your kids, hey, 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 put that down, put that down, right? Stop. It's that stop gesture. Mm -hmm. So you interrupt a man in the, in the boardroom, the man Charlie can say, Laura, let me finish. Just let me finish, Laura. 
And he is not going to be judged by that. If a woman does that palm down gesture in the room, we're going to be called the B word that ends with the itch, right? Or raises her voice at all. Yes. So, and then we'll talk about raising the voice too. Remind me. So a woman cannot do the palm down gesture. You're going to be seen as overly aggressive, overly sensitive, too emotional. So what can women do in that, in that moment? What women should be doing is we should be pushing back from the table because we lean towards people and ideas and concepts that we like and away from people and concepts and ideas we don't like. So you want to lean back from the table and you want to do what's called steepling. We used to see this in this, you know, in the Simpsons, Smithers, right? Donald Trump does a lot of steepling. Oprah Winfrey is a big steepler. This is where you do prayer hands. So fingertips to fingertips. Instead of praying where your palms are touching one another, you want to have your tips together, your fingertips, but imagine you're holding a baseball in there. So if you women just push back from the table, stopped talking, even though someone interrupted you and steepled, I'll promise you, I know as a fact it happens because I've coached executive women nonstop for 15 years. Someone else at the table say, Mike, Charlie, Steve, stop interrupting Laura. Will you let her speak? And what you do, it's almost like Pavlov's dog. You begin to start doing this, right? You, you lean back, you steeple, right? Like this. Do not tilt your head to the side. When you tilt your head to the side, it's it's I'm weak. It's asking a question. Your head should be on straight. Your chin should even be up in those moments. And if someone says you're this like overly sensitive, nasty person, how? No, actually, you were in control and very confident. You're not out of control. So there's tweaks that men can do, things they can do that we simply can't. Women tend to get really small. Men to take up men tend to take up space. I would say look at the men and the women in your company that you feel are confident, that are respected by others, and watch how they sit. I'm telling you right now, their hands aren't folded on their laps. They're probably not upfolded on a table. How can you take action when your hands are folded? Stop folding your hands at a table. You're sitting in a great way, Laura. If people could see you, you're in the sprinter's pose. You're in the front third of your seat. You're leaning forward. You've got one arm, your left arm on the table. Your right arm is on the chair and you're facing me. You're at a diagonal, which interest is interesting to me. So this diagonal pose, this is connected with evaluating and you're in a podcast, right? So she said, she said, evaluating what I'm saying. We're going to try to take some pictures. Yes. Yeah, so you're in this evaluating, confident pose. And then on top of it all, you're in red. <laughs> if I were going to give you a tip on colors, I would not wear red on a podcast when yeah? interviewing people. Okay. And I, I'm going to tell you why. I tell love red. Yeah. You look smoking hot. I <laughs> well, love thank red. thank you so much. <laughs> red makes people not be vulnerable and share. Luckily, I'm super open and I just will tell, talk about <laughs> my God. love story to anybody. Uh, but blues and greens, if you go up to uh, in space and look down, blues and greens are the number two. Blues first, green is second. Studies have been done on this. So blues and greens make people feel comfortable and they open up. My whole office at the Body Language Institute is all blues, some yellows. I have no red to be found. Uh -huh. I didn't know this because I would wear red all the time and my personality is red. Mm -hmm. You don't have a red personality. I don't know what color your personality is, but you're very... You're an excellent listener. You're very confident. You're kind. Your head's tilted to the side. So you're listening. You're empathetic. So maybe the red will work with you because your personality is strong but over overbearing. I'm overbearing. It works with the logo. And it <laughs> works with the logo. Yes. So blue, though, blue makes people open up. Yeah, and so a, a study was done where they put a red folder in the room just sitting around. And they say, how many, what can you do with a brick? What different things could you do with a brick? And they come up with, I think it's almost a third of the ideas of the red folders versus the blue folders in the room. No red in the room, blue folders. They have three times as many ideas. Uh -huh. Because with red, people are afraid of making a mistake. It's connected to danger. Fire trucks, um, the emergency lever we pull, red pens from our teacher.
here. Uh-huh. So red is great when you want people to be perfect. So talk about the cover of your book, which right? is right. So I didn't which know anything is, about colors and when I did the book. So yeah. this red book is my second book is You Can't Lie to Me, which is so fascinating. To it me. has this, a red, beautiful red cover. And, and I which told is danger. Janine before we started this yeah. conversation, how much I like the cover of this book. Yes, it's so Matches funny. My yes, that red. It's danger. <laughs> so it, it, what's interesting is. Uh, you may like it, but would you buy it in a bookstore? So this book did not sell as well as my yellow book, You Say More Than You Think. The yellow book, You Say More Than You Think, is a New York Times bestseller. It's translated in 14 languages. This book is full. This really, You Can't Lie to Me, is full. It's like five books in one. It's information I wish I knew years ago as a kid. It would have kept me safe, my kids safe, even like decades before I, I uh, ever thought of writing a book. Because I have ADD, as people listening can probably figure out. Uh this red book, you can't lie to me. I love this book, and it does not sell like hotcakes. I mean, it's in Barnes and Noble, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's not a New York Times bestseller. It became a Washington Post bestseller. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I always wonder. It's funny you're bringing this up. If, if it was a different color, still, you can't lie to me is so strong. Yeah. What if it was blue? Right. Like, hey, we're going to talk about a tough topic in a way that's safe. Would it have sold more? Maybe. So interesting. And I'll just remind listeners quickly, you can purchase both of Janine's books on the link in our website, and we get a little kickback from that, but it's no additional charge to you. That's my goal is I want to inspire people to look at their world differently and, and keep themselves safe and make smarter decisions. And uh, I'm trying. I'm doing a podcast coming out. Yeah, okay. I- let's, let's talk about Open Loop is your new podcast. Yes. It hasn't launched yet. Yeah, March, we're hoping. Yes. So, Open loop, what does that mean? An open loop is a cliffhanger. I just gave you one here. I said the difference between fear and surprise, one of them indicates your child's lying to you or your employee's lying to you, and one doesn't. Now you don't know. Well, which one is it? And which, how can I spot it? What? And, and you mean in three minutes or four minutes, I, I could teach you that? Yeah, that's an open loop because I'm not telling you which is which. An open loop is a cliffhanger. Open Loop is uh, myself. That's a podcast. Myself and my co-host is Elise Labatt. I know she's been on here. Just on, yeah. Who I love is fabulous. She's she's my best friend on planet Earth. We're we're very very different in some ways and very very same in the others. We're both authentic and open and generous, and um, we're both healers in different ways. I'm more intense and aggressive, and she's more politically correct. So Open Loop is we're going to help you close the loops in the media that week. So and then we're going to talk about how to read and influence human behavior. Stuff like, why do we vote? Why are we all cheering on Jen Aniston to get back with Brad Pitt, but we're not cheering on Brad Pitt getting back with the mother of his children, Angelina Jolie? What's happening in the brain for us? Why do we kill her off dead? And how is this happening in our life? So how to read and influence human behavior. At the end of every Open Loop podcast, we're going to give you a challenge to do that week. And a meeting, sit directly across from someone. And another meeting, sit at a diagonal. I want you to notice how often do they look at you? How often do they blink? How often do they gesture to you? What's their tone and pitch of voice? Is there a difference? So we'll give a challenge every week. And then we have a special segment that people are loving. It's called We See Dead People. We see dead people. We, we, we go back in the day to those who passed away and tell you what they didn't say. Every single week, Janine and Elise, the cold the deceased. You are tuning in to We See Dead People. We See Dead People is going back into the video archives on YouTube and telling you something about people who have passed, Robin Williams, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, anyone who's passed, analyzing interviews and sharing information with you about them that you may never have heard before. So Dr. Martin Luther King, I watched every ounce of footage I could find of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that I could find, everything, hours and hours and hours. I think it was about two weeks of re-watching it. 
He does not touch his face. He doesn't scratch his nose, play with his hair. He does not touch his face. But the average person touches our face. We touch our face. You touch it 13 to 30 times in an hour, the average person. And when you touch your face, what happens is in your brain, it sends little happy hormones down and relaxes you. And it increases your ability to get more information in, increases your ability to have cognitive thinking. It's like a reset for your cell phone. It's shutting, you know, if your phone's ever glitchy or your computer, you're like, just shut it down. Sometimes just shutting it down does a good reset. Touching our face does a reset for our brain. Dr. Martin Luther King does not, did not touch his face. Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did not touch his face. He is so resolute in what he had to say, and he believed it so much. He never had to do a, an emotional reset by touching his face. That, to me, was fascinating. It's really fascinating. It is so fascinating because watch everyone else. Jen Aniston constantly plays with her hair behind her right. ear. The average person is 13 to 30 times in an hour touching our face. It's normal behavior. So calm and so resolute in his purpose and what he believed that he does did not do that. That's fascinating to me. Then that bounced me over to the guy who shot him. But Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, Jr.'s wife and one of his sons, along with some other family members, thinks that think that the FBI did it. And it wasn't really James Earl Ray. It was someone else. So I find all these videos of James Earl Ray. And now I'm reading and analyzing his statements, what he's saying with his words. He was asked, um, did you kill him? It should be what? A yes or a no. Right. He then responds, I think it was something like 228 words of saying all this information. That's called the stalling technique. And it's like a magician when they pull the hat, you know, that rabbit out of the hat. Distracting. Yeah, it's distracting you. Um, this guy, in my opinion, definitely shot Dr. Martin Luther King. And there's the story behind the story. And so Elise, my co-partner, my co-host, she's going to find out the data. You know, the facts behind the facts, the story behind the story. And then I'm the human behavior along with the statements people use. And so we see awesome. dead people. It's all about um, sharing a story about people who are here. Jeffrey Dahmer. He talked about not being caught for over a decade. And one time he had a dead body next to his bed on the floor. Police were in his apartment and they didn't even know there was a dead body next to his floor. And the police came in, checked his driver's license and then went on their merry way. So what is someone like Jeffrey Dahmer? And can body language be analyzed of a sociopath or a psychopath? We'll see. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. Okay. One final question we ask everyone who comes on for a single piece of advice, a life hack or a mantra. What would be yours? Uh, my, my, I would say my biggest mantra right now or piece of advice is no one really wants to change. I don't want to change. Anyone. It changes hard. Uh, but if you could you be 1% better today? I say be 1% better every day. And at the end of 365 days, you're not 365% better because it compounds. You know, I'm not a math genius here or an accountant by any means, but if you are 1% better every single day, that keeps compounding. Ask yourself, when people are angry, you know, you're 1% better by just saying, I wonder if they're sad or anxious or, or are they really angry? And where are you the culprit? People want to know they matter and belong. And when they matter and belong, cooperation will be strong. So break the chain. Be 1% better. You are amazing exactly as you are. And just say, today I'm going to be 1%. Let 1% of my greatness come out. Janine, thank you, Laura. Thank you Thanks for having so me much. Thank I loved you. it. I loved it. I loved it. To learn more about Janine, please check out the show notes for this episode. Episode 89 will include links to the Body Language Institute, as well as a few photos that illustrate some of the body language that we talked about today. 
And if you're loving She Said, She Said podcast, and we certainly hope that you are, please be sure to sign up for the weekly newsletter. It goes out on Fridays. There you'll receive additional content about episodes, as well as things that we're reading, including selections that we think really complement the content and so, so much more. All of this is designed and developed to really help you, whatever your journey, your mission, and your goals ultimately are. Also remember that if you order Janine's books or any of the books featured on in the newsletter or on the website, be sure to do so via the links provided. When you use our link, you help She Said, She Said podcast with no additional cost to you. That is a win-win, my friend. A big, big thanks to EFB for hosting us and to our terrific executive producer, Adam Belmar, for helping to create a quality production. Adam! <laughs> and as always, to our amazing audience, all of you who are listening, thanks so much. And thanks so much for the great feedback that you're sharing and for being part of this growing community of women who are focused on personal growth and development and are sharing their insights and are working to have a positive impact on others and on the world every single day.